0: to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not outside freezing my butt off at bike races, I'm probably inside writing about those bike races or recording this podcast.
1: And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach, and you are here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we talk to people who move in all different types of ways and those who coach it and study it and are experts in it, and and occasionally just people who are like you and I, and just, just do the best we can. We uh,
0: are weird about it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we try and learn what we can and, and sort of like try some different sports along the way. And that's what this podcast is about is trying different things, moving a bunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we were out watching people moving.
0: I was going to say, I feel like this week we tried to become <laughs> spectators. That was our well, wild Well, new... we had two
1: big uh, cyclocross events. This is like a merger of mountain bike and cyclocross uh, locally. Mountain bike and road, I should say. I apologize. Yeah. Where where were you going? With uh that? so it's quite a fall based sport. Uh, lots of on and off bikes, so lots of different movements and stuff. So it's good I like enjoy watching people and seeing how, how they're they're able to deal with this feat of getting on and off the bike and carrying the bike upstairs and boy, there was a lot of stairs at this latest race in Midland, Ontario, the Pan American Championships.
0: Yeah, I think it was Clara Hansinger I was talking to after the race. She got second in the Elite Women's and I was I asked what her favorite and least favorite part of the course was and she's like well, the third flight of stairs seemed a little extraneous. I was like that's fair.
1: Yeah, yeah. Last year it was two sets, and this year they went for the the full three.
0: I felt so bad. There was one, the one set of stairs. It was a stair set about maybe ten meters, and then another stair set. I've never felt so bad for people watching them get, you know, get to the top of the first flight of stairs, and then just like look. Slightly up and see the next one coming. In the distance, yeah. 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 The feeling of despair.
1: Yeah, and then there was a muddy chute that was sort of the spectator zone of watching the riders uh, try and navigate it, and it did look tricky. I think everyone had at least one sort of tricky time down it where they were sort of semi off the bike, semi on the bike, and there was a couple of, of good crashes, we'll say, only a few that I saw that ended in sort of injury so hopefully everyone's okay after that. But I
0: think it was a really good reminder that even elite racers go go down regularly. Like I think every racer I saw
1: had fall fall regularly. Bobble, yeah, like one bobble. Yeah, it definitely happens. It doesn't need to look that smooth, right? It's sort of figuring out uh i'm always fond of sort of the idea of like tension on on the bike and sort of applying that tension whether you're turning or finding balance
0: i think the one thing that like separates the hot you know the top pros from everybody else is the ability to get back up quickly reassess what happened and then get going again it's really Mm -hmm. you know they there was one guy who somehow like fell flipped his bike and like was somehow righted again, but backwards and, like, very quickly pivoted it. I think it was a like, guy on a pivot, come to think of it. Yeah. Um,
1: pivot bicycle, yeah. The, yeah, avoiding that, like, full-out catastrophe, like, bike in the fence, you know, out into the forest and upside down and disoriented, yeah, it's... I, I don't know how you really train that, aside from just a lot of riding and a lot of crashing. Yeah, um,
0: I mean, it might be partially genetic. Like, you just don't have that same fear mechanism of, like oh my gosh, am I okay? Am I okay? I don't think they ask if they're okay. They just ask, how can I get back to going in a straight line again?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And maybe just, just, it's hard to say, I guess, just keep, keep, keep stuff tight, I guess. But yeah, I think that it sort of brings home that importance of practicing, you know, we know these shoots, these sandy bits, um, technical bits are, are coming and, and sort of practicing things like taking your foot out and running down even like running down would be an option too and you know you could see people just hadn't run down a slippery Mm -hmm. slope before
0: well and the one thing you kept mentioning too is you know we saw pictures of people who were nailing it especially on the first day and you know the kind of only difference between them and the people that were epically crashing out was just being in that tense ready position
1: well on maybe not even tense, but in control sort of ready position. Yeah. The position, I mean, and you see that with so many movements, right? Like if you're squatting, you can sort of say like, okay, there's, there's a position that we would expect success from. And then there's the more extreme, you know, way far back or way far forward on the bicycle or in the squat for that matter, where you, you would expect maybe there would be an issue, you know, if you're too far back on the bike, then you sort of the front wheels not weighted as much. You're losing the front brake. You try and turn and the front wheel, you know, has no weight on it. Um, and then you're not in position to sort of be dynamic and push into the the mm-hmm. pedals, the wheels, right? And, and maybe cause the bike to turn or unweight. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Yeah. So it was a super fun race to be at. Very cold. Uh, but yeah, good to see a lot of people. Had a lot of good conversations. Got to talk to a few people about actually my new book, which I'm very excited about.
1: It's right. What is the title of your new book?
0: The Athlete's Guide to Sponsorship. Uh, so it's this weird little passion project that I've had for the last few I think four or five years now, I started writing it a few years back.
1: Yeah. You've been ticking away at it.
0: Yeah. It's just kind of been this slow growth, but I mean, I've worked in kind of every level of the sport. I've been, you know, a racer in a bunch of different sports, but I've also been a team manager. I've been a journalist for over a decade. Uh, You know, I've worked with companies. I've, you know, talked to a lot of sponsorship directors and social media managers and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, So I've kind of gotten to get, and I've coached a bunch of youth camps too. Uh, So I've kind of gotten to see a lot of the sort of behind the scenes when it comes to athletes getting on teams and getting sponsorships and, you know, gotten to see a whole lot of race resumes coming my way for, you know, an assortment of reasons. And yeah, kind of all of that put together made me realize that a lot of, I'm going to say part, like mainly young athletes, but really any athletes that are kind of hoping to have more of a career in the sport, whether you're already a pro or you're hoping to go pro, uh, there's a lot of information that's kind of missing from the conversation Uh, just like how to connect with companies and how to put together a racer resume and what to put in an email and
1: and you were able to get like interviews it's not just your opinion it was people who were team managers or brand Mm -hmm. brand marketing you know managers i guess
0: Mm -hmm. yeah lots of case studies in there and lots of yeah direct information from the people who are actually signing the checks right um, so yeah, it's a really interesting book. I'm super proud of it. I'm super psyched on it. So we'll have links to that in the show notes if anyone is interested is in checking it out. a
1: website or it's, it's on Amazon so you can search? What are you yep, going to search on Amazon?
0: The Athlete's Guide to Sponsorship. Okay. Um, yeah. And then you can find more about it on the outdooredit.com. There is actually a website, um, but links are all over on the outdoor edit. So that's kind of the easiest way to find it. And yeah, I have lots of information coming your way with that and I'm yeah, really stoked on having that finally out in the world. Um, also, I know a lot of parents listen to this. Parents, if you have a young teenager who wants to be a racer, highly recommend this as like a stocking stuffer for Christmas.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I think it's there's a lot of things that are not even for sponsorship, right? It could be getting a job, which could be your first step into sponsorship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, But a lot of things are just communicating with people, making connections with people which I think are are beneficial aside from sponsorship, right? We are trying to raise good humans and become good humans ourselves. Cool. Did you write anything else this week?
0: I've written so much this week.
1: Okay. Is there any highlights that you'd want people to check out?
0: Uh, I mean, everything is always over on com. Even when I do bigger articles for other places, I always have links to my favorites over there. So that's kind of the easiest way to just sort of stay on top of everything that I'm writing about. Yeah. So onward.
1: Sure. Yeah, we have uh, a lot of questions this week. So thank you for everyone who reached out. You said it was a lot of Instagram stories. Yeah. Or, or via Instagram stories. Yeah.
0: So Peter's got to get on the Instagram stories. I don't know his, about that, but. His audience. Uh, so actually, before we before we dive into the questions, one topic that's been kind of going around and around all of our different social media feeds and kind of in conversation, pretty much every time I talk to other athletes, is the op-ed in the New York Times by. elite runner mary kane talking about you know kind of being bullied about body composition and stuff like that as a a young runner and how that kind of got her out of the sport
1: right so there was an article but it also had a video Mm -hmm. both were i think worth watching reading um so we'll, we'll we will put that in the show notes if you haven't seen it i think probably if you turn on your twitter it'll probably be there um but what was the gist of this
0: uh Basically, just, you know, young female athletes have such pressure and high standards to be this very thin, very, you know, potentially dangerously underweight t- style of athlete that we kind of picture when we picture runners. And that's, you know, not necessarily a healthy thing for most of them. Uh, and, you know, she's talking about her time on Nike and how you know racers were getting weighed in front of each other and there was this huge emphasis on body composition and you know it led to some really bad things for her right um you know not the not the least of which you know eating disorder dropping out of the sport you know kind of ruining her love for running too
1: Right. And there's sort of those multi factors, right? There's, you know, did we miss, you know, a peak, you know, of, of athlete, athletic excellence by not taking that more longer term approach, you know, just trying to like really push that weight down versus letting the body evolve over 10 to 20 years type thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then also the long term effects of, you know, depleting the body, depleting the body, you know, and... and losing it on maybe health if not longevity right which is the the bigger thing right like what are we doing to the person long term yeah and that's not with even talking psychologically right yeah exactly and it's been
0: really interesting this like i said this article has been really making the rounds and it's been honestly really cool to see the conversations that have been you know kind of in small parts of the sport world around red s and I've seen a couple of publications be like female athlete triad and then immediately have everyone jump on them and be like, that's not a thing anymore.
1: Right, right. Uh, So the red S is the relative energy deficiency Deficiency syndrome. Yep. Uh, Trent Stellenwerf is a researcher out of Victoria, Canada, who is on our dream list of having on the podcast. But he's put out a bunch of good stuff recently and through his whole entire career. But recently in light of this article video um, which is worth checking out as well, um, and and I to me the the tricky thing is still, you know what do we do about this? There's a systemic thing, perhaps you know there's beliefs around oh you know racing weight and getting lighter and what that involves, but the the actionable steps are tough, right? You know we come back. To that you know if you sort of train like a cyclist and try and just fuel your body appropriately but that's that's very nebulous right it's very easy to say things like that mm-hmm. and well, what if that anyone means
0: listen to our Katarina nash bonus episode i think a week or two ago that we put it out uh she has a great line in there about you know she sort of accidentally made the decision that she wanted to be a healthy human instead of going for those quick gains and you know she's obviously when she's gone to the olympics she's you know peaked a little bit and focused a little bit more on you know Body composition, but for the most part, she's never been willing to drop down to the numbers that you know she might have been told when she was younger that she needed to be at, right? um, Because she valued her health over her, you know, maybe peaking in the sport or maybe having that one ride. She wanted to be a a career racer, not a one hit racer, yeah. And I
1: think where I struggle personally is because I work mostly with masters and we're getting into middle age, which a client and I were laughing about what middle age meant to me versus her. And I thought that was optimistic for that. Everyone was, you know, thinking of themselves as middle age. And and when I say middle age, I mean, masters aged, right? So, uh, we're thinking, you know, what thirties to wherever, 75 80 maybe i don't know maybe you can't define middle age. looking
0: at you and i'm like i feel like you're much older now that you've tried to call yourself middle age and i'm a little so i'll have to say we're
1: not elite you know we're not going to the olympics um and so this is i I think the question is once we get into that stage of life that's where a lot of this conversation gets tricky right because a lot of this is centered around younger people you know we're going through puberty maybe and then you know we're being, a, we're really pushing the levels of like elite volumes and training loads, right? And this is, I think, where it gets tricky, tricky. And I, I'm not sure I have amazing answers beyond, I think we can learn a lot from, you know, just those foundations of good food and regular eating and eating slowly that we were talking about Alan Lim's sort of, you know, who are you eating with and how are you eating this is very important too, uh, the other day. So I, I think wrapping that up, I guess my, my thought is, I guess for a lot of us, it's, it's just being careful that we're not going to extremes when we're not, especially when we're not elite athletes. Right.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that pretty much sums it up really well. And I, I don't know, I guess a lot of this stuff kind of centers around the scale and, you know, body fat percentage and stuff like that. And I've, you know, come in and out of that over my life. It's, you know, hard to avoid that as an athlete, but I think the number of times I've stepped on a scale in the last five years has probably been like two or three times Um, because I've realized over the last few years that I'm, I'm a much happier, healthier human. If I don't get on a scale.
1: Well, and I guess that's what I wonder. And I guess where I I go back and forth in the way I do with stuff is, you know, we have the bike riding or the running, Um, you know, we have these healthy meals where, you know, hopefully eating slowly, you know, they're composed of vegetables, good proteins and so forth. Um, you know, foods even, I shouldn't even say, you know, proteins, I should say foods, Um, you know, and I wonder what would happen if we, if we focused on that healthy routine, you know, we know these things going to bed, you know, um, training, you know, semi-regularly, you know, what would be the effect if we did that and focused more on sort of how we're feeling every day, right? Are we fueling appropriately for that? And Mm -hmm. I don't know, I think a lot of us could do pretty well with that sort of focus of like, how do I feel? You know, maybe there's, I don't know. I don't know. How do I perform? Right. Like the performance pieces, you know, for, even for our master's age people, right? Like are we performing like junk or are we like making progress? Right. Well, I think
0: we outsource a lot of information at this point, right? Like you get on your smart scale and it tells you your, your weight and your body fat percentage and your bone density and all of these other numbers you get on the bike and it tells you your power numbers and your new threshold and how hard you're working and right you don't really think about how, how does my body feel right now? How are my pants fitting right now? How, mm. how does this, how hard does this workout feel right now?
1: Well, and, and the pants fitting is like an interesting thing too, right? Like, I don't know. Can we even say that anymore? I don't know.
0: I don't um, know. That's always been kind of my measure, but.
1: Yeah. And, and then I guess that gets to the point where right? like, if you're, cause you could start strength training and you could potentially weigh the same, but then your pants fit looser if we're allowed to say that you know or or maybe you you look better in the mirror if that's if that's what we're doing I don't know if that's if we're supposed to do that anymore or not Um, well
0: if you feel like you look better in the mirror I mean
1: yeah yeah I don't again you're more muscular more toned right and and I don't know if that's you know versus the weight like what is the weight we all have the five pounds we want to lose but what what is that right and that's that's I think the tricky bit Mm mm-hmm the whole thing's very tricky.
0: Yeah, so no no answers here, <laughs> obviously. Right. obviously. Um, but I just thought it was kind of important to bring that up just because it is this topic that's getting a lot of attention right now. And I think we're going to try to do an episode kind of around Red S and talking about how it's not just this one tiny group of a population of athletes that's affected by it. It's it's something that a lot of people struggle with.
1: Yeah, and I guess we'll link to... So Trent Stallworth had like a, a pyramid of sort of like you know, what level in the sport are you? It started at the bottom of the pyramid as sort of, you know, juniors. But I think we could almost put, and I would be interested to know his opinions on this, but sort of the junior, you know, we could put age groupers, lifetime athletes in there. And and really the foundation of that thing is just, you know, this is how you make yourself a meal at regular intervals throughout the day, you know, getting to sleep on time. Mm -hmm. Um, The boring stuff. You know, and consistent training. And yeah, I just you start simple right and i think we have to come back to that and the question is if you know you trained and acted like someone who was a bicycle rider you know and a healthy human for five years like what what you know you should see the the boat steer in that direction right and i think that's we have to have confidence in that right yep on its own yeah Awesome. Yeah, and I think, I guess the only other thing it underlays is that as we get into more extremes, there's support, right? So that there is the access to something like a, a psychologist, a sports psychologist, maybe, um, you know, because obviously that's the, the tricky bits is that there is all this psychosocial stuff tied up in it.
0: Yeah, for sure. And very clearly, there was a lot of support structure that was flawed or missing in the case for Mary Kane.
1: Yeah. And just leaving it up, you know, coaches are getting thrown under the bus and probably deserve in in this. But I uh, think we can
0: all agree that at least one of those coaches deserves that.
1: Sure. Sure. I guess. Um, Yeah. So all that to say, there's help out there if it needs to get complicated. But sometimes if we sort of just pull back layers... Maybe Mm -hmm. there's, maybe there's a simple solution to some of the trickiness.
0: All right. Awesome.
1: Tricky is the word of the day.
0: Tricky is the word of the day. All right. Next question. I feel like you're not going to find this one tricky at all. Okay, good. You're going to have firm opinions. Okay. It's going to be good. Yeah.
1: That's rare. All right.
0: Um, yeah. So our friend wanted to know, she's getting ready for winter training. She wanted us to discuss the pros and cons of smart trainers, regular trainers, and rollers for indoor cycling. Uh, she's been using just a plain old kinetic stationary trainer. Um, She downloads some workouts from Training Peaks to her Garmin. She's been encouraged to join Zwift, but she's resisting for some reason. Um, She says, I enjoy pedaling along following a workout and simply listening to music or podcasts, but maybe I'm missing out on all these technological advances that have been made of late. Curious to know what you guys think. So, Peter, should she give in or should she join our Zwift rebellion?
1: Um. I mean, I had an interesting conversation with my arch nemesis and good friend and fellow coach, uh, Andrew Watson yesterday. And he, <laughs> he's very like, he's came from the same old school I did. Um, but he has been on Zwift, I think since pretty early and he really likes it. And it's really kept, he finds that he keeps him, he's been ra- riding and racing again as long as I have. So say 20 years. And he's found that it's sort of rejuvenated his winter training. Now he does a lot. He goes out in snowshoes with, a, you know, for with friends or, or whatever for, you know, just at a lower intensity. And he, I think, still skis a bunch. So I don't know. I, I think in that rambling answer, I, I don't like it. Some people really like Zwift, but there's absolutely no reason you need to do it. And I
0: think if you're resisting doing it,
1: yeah, don't if, do it. If you're it. able, I think the other advantage, I guess, especially if you've never done it, is like you probably don't like you like listen to movies or watching movies, listening to music. That's great. You know, try and have, I like that you have some work out there. They don't have to be super hard all the time. They can be like cadence pyramids, you know, change your cadence around practice, accelerating a gear. So you're in a gear and spinning it up every five minutes for an hour. You know, if you chunk things up like that, the hour goes by. And if there's a lot of people, if they just rode for like 30 minutes to 60 minutes, you know, three times a week and then tried to get out hiking or skiing or, You know running if you run there's a lot of options to get outside and mix it up and that's really what this base season which there's i just did a base one type uh article i guess on this early season stuff uh on smartathlete.ca we'll link to that um but my my vote would be keep it simple
0: now, you'd also say stick with the regular trainer versus upgrading to a smart trainer. And I th- I know you like rollers.
1: I mean, it's all good. I, we were having a conversation this morning about just like, you know, you spend $1,600 on a smart trainer. Like to me, that's, you know, a crummy mountain bike that you can go ride in the winter. That's a set of cross country skis that's you know maybe some boots for trudging in the forest you don't even need snowshoes i don't think for most people
0: it's a pretty solid gym membership that has like a sauna, sure you get spin your, classes. your ymca
1: type membership and now you have exactly access to everything you could do a cardio a little circuit you could go swimming if you're into swimming you could go again sauna everyone's doing heat So you could start sprinkling some of that in and just not be freezing all the time if you're in canada um you know and you're still probably not at 600 bucks you probably have 500 bucks you could get a plane ticket and go visit a friend in wherever your friend is in some warm destination so
0: that's what we did the year we were here for the winter we got ymca passes and yep. we just hung out in the sauna a bunch we we're trying to remember what the heck we did <laughs> Yeah, how we, got through. we were here last so
1: winter. i mean i'm i'm very much and this is the consummate athlete podcast right so i think you know we're in the off season embrace that off season Um, I actually just sold my smart trainer, which is, we're also going away for a bunch of the winter, uh, conveniently and fortunately. Um, but if we were home, I think I would honestly have stuck with that and just sort of mix it like, again, get to the gym membership, try and get out hiking, walking, you know, riding outside. Like, I think that's the, like going outside has also been lost a little bit. There's, you can't do it every day of the winter and it depends a bit on where you are and you got to, you know, choose on safety and, and, and time spent and stuff for sure. I understand that.
0: I think the only last thing I would add as far as like do or do not Zwift, um, it seems as though, you know, especially if you're coming from like a regular trainer and you'd be, you know, setting it up with the regular trainer and not a smart trainer, all that kind of stuff. I feel like the technological like crap that you'd have to do to get that going and get that working Uh, just feels like more trouble than it's worth if you're already perfectly happy with what you're doing.
1: Yeah, I always, again, I'm sort of, I'm slow to change on stuff, which I think works to my favor a lot, but then I also don't do something. So I do, I have lots of clients who are cutting edge and I appreciate them so much because they keep me informed to like what Zwift is and, and that's, you know, how I've learned about it and can support people and give sort of troubleshoot through all this stuff. But I have to say the people that like have a fluid trainer and a set of rollers which is like accumulated cost of max of like a thousand maybe easily you could do it for like three or four if not less Um, those people just train every single day and and you could say that's a bias that those people just you know are motivated and can stare at a wall and listen to their music and mix it up and go outside periodically but they just don't have the the frustration from staring at screens and things not working and I told you, I I retweeted today, DC Rainmaker, who does amazing articles on all things technology and cycling. So if you want to know, is this smart trainer or this power meter good, he has the website. He had a tweet to the effect that, you know, the the year 2019 trainers, another time this fall. The fall has been all about, you know, brand new smart trainers failing, tried multiple tablets and computers to make it work, dot, 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 went for a run. And I was just like, yeah, that about that's about it. So I don't know if that answers your question. It was sort of a rambling thing. But I think just try and mix it up. If you're into Zwift, great. Just don't do it every day. Um, if you're into intervals, great. Just don't do them every day. I would ride rollers. I feel like people have forgotten. Rollers are definitely really, really good. Like we, we were talking about tension and going down the mud chute. I bet you, you would feel a lot better on like tricky, slippery things like that. And then if you can start incorporating like one arm or one leg or... We used to dismount, like cycle cross dismount on rollers. Um, and just learning, like it just, you're learning to interact with your bike with one foot off as you get going. And then, you know, again, playing around with tricks. So.
0: My face looks a little scared right now.
1: Yeah, but I mean, what else are you going to do? It's really boring.
0: <laughs> just set up some mattresses around it if you do try to start doing that stuff.
1: Um, I think I like people don't use flat pedals either. So I think if you're that scared about not on clipping, then I would just go back to flat pedals. And b- there's a lot of benefits to that and just practice, right? Like there's absolutely no reason you can't pedal with flat pedals. Like when we do spin classes and stuff, I teach spin classes and flat pedals. It's the greatest thing. It's so simple, mm-hmm. so comfortable. You just walk out.
0: All right. Okay. Next question. <laughs> it's very related, but best tip for passing time on the trainer. Oh. Um. So I think the first thing is just uh I've made this mistake in the early stages of my career where I was training for Ironman and I would spend like literal hours and hours on the trainer. Like I remember the longest trainer ride I did I think it was six hours, which was just sheer misery and got nothing accomplished.
1: Yeah. There's there's few like so, that's getting extreme, right?
0: So like I think we can say. You know the first thing is if you're spending a lot of hours on the trainer don't um kind of back to what we were just saying with hiking and doing all of these other off-bike things kind of in addition to trainer stuff we've talked about that ad nauseum yeah Um, i think one thing i would actually suggest though is hit a spin class every once in a while and just kind of like see how the teacher you know spin classes go by really fast Um, And just kind of think about how the teacher is making it go by really quickly. Um, And obviously, you're not going to bring all of that home. You're not going to be doing like the hand things. They used to,
1: and I think sometimes they still do, but they did like figure eights where you would like move awkwardly like side to side and like your knees don't have a lot of that like it's a hinge joint
0: <laughs> no like no, none of that but like yeah go to, go it to gets like, a little crazy go to a legit spin 100
1: and so what do they do like they they go like stand up for 10 seconds yeah. sit down pedal faster for 10 seconds pedal even faster for another 10 seconds right so a lot of this cadence drills are, are money and so beneficial to just learn to mix your cadence up um and that could be Again, just like increase it by 10 RPM every minute until you can't hold it for a minute and then decrease it slowly. And that's a ladder that could take 10, 20 minutes. Do it, Mm -hmm. do it three times, you know, and you just, you could keep your pace steady. You could make it get harder and harder as you get to the top. Um, You know, so you might have to shift if you want to keep the effort the same, the heart rate the same. Mm -hmm. So there's all different ways you could do it. It could be an intensity ride one day. And then that same ladder could be an endurance ride just with a variety of cadences
0: i admit my other way to pass time on the trainer is just straight up like there are a few shows that i won't let myself watch unless i'm either doing core or on the trainer for example i am very into riverdale not ashamed of it i will only watch that when i'm doing my morning a lot
1: of people do that they save up seasons and and just do that so you know you have your 20 30 minute episode and you know you need three of them to do a 90 minute ride
0: peter riverdale is 52 minutes
1: and that's perfect, right? I, I remember I used to look... I'd, and I, there were a few movies that I just really liked. So I, and I think everyone has that, right? And you can sort of watch them. So I this is a two hours and 20 minutes video. So I'd start it 10 minutes into the, the workout and there'd be a two and a half hour thing. As I say that, I do limit most people to 90 minutes mm-hmm. on the trainer. We'll do a couple times a year where we just like slug it out and maybe they've joined like a charity ride and we do a big long thing or they're going to a friend's house and they're going to have like trainer party. I think there's great like spike the volume in there, but most of us don't need to do much more with the caveat that you could do 90 minutes outside, 90 minutes outside or or vice versa. You choose your or you could go run. Like that's how I usually do it. I'll go, you know, run for half an hour in the middle of the workout, maybe go ride, run, ride, sort of almost like a brick workout. Mm-hmm. Um, what else have we done with well, that?
0: I think the trainer party is actually kind of an interesting idea, whether it's in person or via FaceTime, we had actually mentioned something about like morning core doing it with a buddy at one point, And I know a couple people listened to it and actually did that and they found it really helped. So
1: like they FaceTime their friend. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, good for, wow. I'm impressed.
0: I know. Right. So, I mean that, that might work for someone. Yeah.
1: Sometimes like I know people will phone and I'll just talk to them. Then it's, mm-hmm. it's sort of annoying cause it's like buzzing yeah, in yeah, the background. Yeah, but, yeah. uh, yeah i don't know there's all sorts of ways so i think the movie the music um like definitely music can be huge i never i found movies were tough because sometimes movies get sad like rom-coms you know there's always the like downward turn i
0: just skip those parts
1: <laughs> um, but some people again you find what you like right like something like a lord of the rings where there's like battle scenes some people get really into that you know subtitles can be really nice if you can't hear all the very fast well and the furious movies yeah yeah and, and so i think having some structure is sort of our main takeaway right like If you have a bunch of tempo you can do and they're just short blocks, that's going to be huge. Having a fan, people don't ever, like it's way too hot and then that gets like really overwhelming and you're already overwhelmed and then you, you know, fail or get off. Uh, So make sure you keep it cold, open a window, big giant, 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 comically big fan.
0: I think the last point is really just like, hey, the trainer sucks sometimes, and like it's actually really good training to. This was
1: part of my argument with Watson. Peter yesterday. makes this argument all the time. Yeah. It's
0: it's really good mental training to just have to stare at a wall and be really bored for you know forty five minutes to an hour or whatever. It's you know it's going to make racing seem like fun. Yeah, and I
1: think that's like if if I if I'm only on the trainer, it'd be like, say Tuesdays are intervals, then I would usually do music and stare at the wall, and I stare say stare at the wall a little like tongue and cheek, I guess, but like I'm literally staring at a wall and focusing on doing the power that you're supposed to do for that hour 90 minute workout and it's it's hard you have to like really focus and it's like oh this 3 minutes takes a long time or this 10 20 minute tempo interval but you're focused on the pedal stroke you're focused on the feeling the exertion the breathing the posture
0: also a really good time to do some visualization of like goal race type stuff mm-hmm.
1: oh that's a good one too a lot of people like like the red bull coverage too and and that can get really real like you can feel like you're in the race for I sure meant
0: more like mentally but yeah yep. i mean yep. I, mr tv obsessed over here right
1: no sorry I, I did sidetrack that but so yeah you could visualize like the hard moments in the race and you're attacking in your three minute interval or you're holding on during like dirty kansas and you're in a 20 minute like threshold bit Um, but the, the visualization can be taken to video. Some of the GoPro cameras, I remember doing a bit of that. Like you can go GoPro for different areas, um, you know, climbs even, but also descents and, and more fun stuff too. Mm
0: -hmm. Ooh, a lot of people save up the cyclocross world cup racing and stuff like that to watch on the train. Yeah, I know a a lot of clients
1: really, really like that. Right. And you sort of can learn a bit of, and you enjoy watching it presumably, Mm -hmm. but hopefully there's some ideas there. Yeah. Pick your poison.
0: All right, next question. This is very like she wants to just kind of. Hear about
1: oh, her. oh! I forgot one really, really good one that people don't do, but super beneficial. On and off your bike, doing like strength or core or other cardio machines. Some people have like a treadmill or like, especially if you had something that was like upper body oriented. But you could get off the bike, do like some push-ups, maybe like overhead press or something, whatever you have for upper body, and then hop back on your bike. And again, that can be done all endurance on the bike, or it could be done with some tempo or you know whatever on the bike. Mm-hmm. Um, but that. A, I think is really beneficial because we get more of the muscle mass. So you're sort of like when you're cross-country skiing, you get that more muscle mass going. Um, but it chunks it, just like the cadence stuff. But it also is getting blood flow into your arms and then your legs have to sort of like recover. And right. Yeah, that one can be really, really good. Again, don't overdo anything, but that one can break up the time really nicely.
0: All right. Speaking of time, next question. Yep. More about our personal preference than like the actual like answer because there is no answer, but ideal time to train during the day. So the obvious answer, if you're asking the question of what's the ideal time to train during the day is the time of day that you're going to train.
1: Yeah, that's the best answer for (laughs) sure.
0: Uh, But Peter, when do you, when do you train? What's your,
1: I like 10 AM. Um, I like to have lunch. So I try and often orient my workout to that. Um, but again, you can't always do that. Most of us have work or some sort of appointments during the day. So I think, There's, there's a bunch of different stuff. There's like power output. Sometimes it'll be like later in the day. So sometimes we'll try and like orient towards that. But I think your point is for, for most people, it's going to definitely be the time that you will get there and do it. I think the trend is definitely towards morning because the day just gets away from us and it gets dark out and you're tired, mentally tired from the rest of the day.
0: Yeah. I've learned, I just don't really have a lot of tolerance for late afternoon, evening workouts. It's yeah, just personal. Like, I mean, I also like really don't like leaving the house after like 530 p.m.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's good rule of thumb. Like you could ask a similar question. Like, should I do my strength training before my bike training? And I usually answer it the same way. Like whatever way it actually gets done is the first orientation. and Then you can talk about like the ideal scientific like routine.
0: hmm. Uh, for me, I get up, I do my morning core thing every single morning just right when I get up. And then, yeah, I'm actually kind of on the same like 10 or 11 a.m. just so I can finish and eat a quick lunch and get back to work. But I found with my like workflow personally and like obviously we're both lucky we get to work from home. So, yeah, you know, we can kind of pick and choose. But I notice I have, you know, three or four hours in the morning where I'm productive and then I kind of hit a lull. So that's kind of the perfect time to get my run in, have my lunch. And then I'm kind of back to a grinding. Yeah, I'm trying afternoon. to think
1: there's a couple books that are sort of like that. I think there's one called When. Yeah. And I think it deals a bit with this sort of stuff. But I think that's a good point too. Like you could get into if I if I if you have like an intense workout sort of thinking like when are you gonna have like fuel that's appropriate, you know, motivation that's appropriate, uh and that probably varies a bit with the person and what your schedule's like. Um I do like that idea of like whatever is the most important, you probably should do that first. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have to really go hard, like for you, especially you have, you know, this creative work you have to do and write stuff. And the problem is we know that after a hard depleting workout, you've been staring at the wall, um, you know, doing intervals, then that's probably going to deplete your ability to do some of this creative, you know, really hard driving work at work or whatever you have to do so there might be some days of the week where you try and get that workout in ahead of the work your your actual work um
0: yeah although i will say like like most people my work breaks into like half of that really hard stuff but then there's a ton of administrative like website photo editing but that's where
1: you're sort of just around your noon workout might be perfect then yeah so i plan some around that but then you could also do later in the day, there might be a benefit, and anyone who has to train after work or chooses to train after work, the benefit there might be that. And Alex Hutchinson was on our podcast talking about his book Endure, where one component of that book was talking about sort of the mental training. And sometimes it's okay to be a bit mentally fatigued after work and just go and do your workout as best you can because you're sort of improving that ability to sort of endure and keep going
0: sure and a lot of people find that that's actually a really nice kind of segue from work to like the rest of their day too
1: right back into family and stuff too and end of the day sort of break yeah yeah Yeah.
0: okay onward um what's our next question here oh i love this one um this this person is transitioning from solo uh, bike racing to racing with a team uh, but the team actually has a team training plan Uh, but she's been working like she's had her own training plan for a long time. How do you come to terms with a team training plan when you're used to your own set of stuff?
1: I don't know. I don't really know. (laughs) I don't know what you do there. Um, I guess, do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Uh, I mean a few actually, I guess my first thought is, uh, really just kind of like deciding what was important to you about your old training plan. Like what did you love about it? Um, so, I mean, I'll, I'll always come back to, for me, the morning core stuff. It kind of doesn't matter who's putting together my training plan or what I'm training for. Like, that's kind of a non-negotiable. That's always going to be in my training plan. Um, so I would keep doing that. Um, if you're someone who really loves solo rides and your team is all, like, team-based rides, you know, I would try to you know, maintain one solo ride a week. And I think most teams are pretty open to if you're like, hey, this is what I need for me to be happy and doing well, um, they'll, they'll let you do it. But it's a huge transition. I remember I had this with when I actually joined Rutgers Cycling, they had a team schedule and, you know, we trained together four to five days a week. And that was a complete difference from my previous, you know one route that I rode and trainer sessions that I did by myself and suddenly I'm, you know, out with this group of people. Um so it's it's intimidating at first and it's also, you know, kind of irritating because now you're not on your own schedule, you're on you're on what the team is doing.
1: Yeah, I guess my paralysis on this is that there's a lot of I'm not 100% sure of the situation as far as like what is training like before the the team and then what is the team routine like. Um but I mean for a lot of people that could be good like you you get into the with the group and then the group's going to do maybe some hard sessions and then hopefully there's enough easier sessions between that so i think the, the upside might just be doing something different. And, well, like and you've at,
0: said a billion times that everything works for six weeks.
1: Yeah. That's a Dan John thing that I stole, but, um, yeah. And I, I mean, changing things, that's why we have phases of training in the year. Right. So I think my only caution would be just make sure that there are enough days that are easy enough for you and, and endurance enough for you. Everyone's again, different in what their endurance pace might be and how much rest they need. So that's sometimes with like varsity programs, um, it tends to be running a bit more, but maybe riding's like that too, where it's just like always just hitting it super hard.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I think just being, you know, making sure there is enough personalization for you. But I think, you know, the group aspect for a lot of people takes away a lot of the choice you need to make and decisions you need to make and, and just pushes you, right? And, and that's racing's hard and it's with people. So I think having people to train with can be a huge asset, right? Because that's how you're going to race.
0: I think you're completely right about the the effort. Like I was, Rutgers was mostly guys and me. So I don't know if this is an all-female team or all-male team or mixed or whatever. Um, I was racing with a bunch of, or riding with a bunch of really fast guys. So I was so burnt every single ride. Yeah. Just hanging on for dear life. And that was probably not the best thing for me. Um, but I was my pride would not let me be like, I need to take more days off or I need to cut these rides shorter. Um, So yeah, don't be afraid to do what feels right for you.
1: Sure. Yep. Yeah, I think it should be good, but yeah, just make sure you get what you need.
0: Yeah. And let us know if you have any more kind of specific questions as it progresses. Cool. All right. Uh, Keeping nutrition on track as a new to college athlete. Uh, This was actually from one of the awesome women that we met at one of the quest camps that we did with Ellen Noble. Uh, so freshmen in college dining halls. And I mean, I'm going to say a lot of us deal with this in the workplace too, right? Like you start a new job and they have, you know, a different cafeteria or they have a certain, you know, favorite fast food place downstairs, or there's always donuts in the break room. Um, I think the the biggest issue facing most of us is just having, all of those junk foody choices sort of at our fingertips.
1: Yeah, and I guess this is how we started the podcast there in that sort of long rambling thing, right? It's, it's a tricky, tricky thing.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the first thing is figuring out what, you know, kind of your schedule and what makes sense as far as eating goes. I remember when I was in college, I, I was terrible at this and I would you know, skip breakfast and then because I had to get to class or had to get to work or whatever, and then suddenly realized I hadn't eaten anything and it was, you know, two in the afternoon. Right. Uh, so I think for, before food choice comes into play, um, just making sure you get on a food schedule is probably the first thing you can do that's going to be helpful.
1: Yeah. And
0: that might, that, and I mean, that might not mean getting to the dining hall for all three meals a day. It might mean that you realize you have to, you know, get cereal and milk and, You know, hard boiled eggs or something, and which I would probably just steal from the dining hall to be honest, um, and keep them in your mini fridge in the dorm. Right. Uh, So that way you don't need to... Yeah, I think those
1: are good. Again, if we look at that, you know, we're early in our athletic careers, we're, you know, mostly trying to be a healthy person because that's going to be a good foundation to build towards being perhaps an elite someday. Uh, so the meal timing, you know, the three three meals to start, th- maybe three or four, you know, just make sure they're at reasonable times. I think that's a great place to start. I do like the precision nutrition, just sort of general rule of thumb on your plate. We look at our plate, you know, and, and is there some vegetables? Is there some protein, um, some you know, carbs, carb- carbohydrate, fat? fat uh, and then are you sort of sitting down and eating slowly, intentionally, right? And I think that meal, you know, maybe with people uh, not necessarily studying or watching the phone. You know, Mm -hmm. I think there's, that's the stuff that gets overlooked a lot of times, right? Like we're eating super stressed. And like you say, you haven't eaten in the day till like three o'clock and then eat again at like a midnight. So I think that's where sometimes it gets off track. Whereas if you just, you don't even focus, we haven't hopefully talked too much about macros. We're just talking about you're eating a meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner, not getting too late, trying to get in bed. Um, you know establishing that routine right
0: yeah i do think the college especially dorm people uh tend to not really have a lot of my big thing is just snacks on hand like fruit and you know nuts seeds whatever just kind of always having some stuff in your dorm room just so you're not kind of hamstrung by dining hall hours i think is actually a really huge thing that i wish i had thought especially of especially if
1: you're training in school mm-hmm. yeah yeah, you gotta have something. We we were lucky. You could get a fridge in the in our dorm room. Like we didn't have a kitchen in our dorm, but you could have your own like mini fridge. We
0: ha- ours came with mini fridges and microwaves.
1: Yeah, we had a kit, a kitchen we could share. Maybe
0: I feel like now there's like some kind of newfangled thing that we don't even know about. We're like, oh, a fridge, and they're like, uh oh, we have this like robot thing that just so- right. cooks our dinners for us. We don't even know what you're talking about right now.
1: Yeah, I mean planning, right? Like if you know. You know, again, sometimes you're going to have to be up late, and that's sort of the fun of college and stuff, but having, like you say, plans in in place, whether that's, you know, some fruit you can get, or where do you get the fruit in town? Um, From the
0: the dining hall uh, in your backpack on your way out. I mean, a
1: lot of dining halls you can get extra stuff. Yeah. and it's, I think you have to pay whatever you get. I don't know why you're stealing everything. all of a sudden.
0: <laughs> well, you swipe for the meal and then you go in and you like fill your backpack up. Oh,
1: I don't know if that's how it works ever. I think a lot of places you pay on the way out now. I don't know if everything's a smorgasbord of, but I oh. guess some places are unlimited.
0: Dining halls are totally unlimited. Oh,
1: well then I guess you can do whatever you want. Uh, okay. That's, that's good. Best of <laughs> luck to you. If there's a specific challenge, let us know.
0: Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, Okay. Fueling early morning workouts. Food seems harder to digest in the early morning. Yep. And this is the issue with races that aren't elite bike races. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's funny every time I'm in cyclocross season and I realize, oh, like race time for what I would have been racing is like 2 p.m. But when I race any other kind of race, whether it's triathlon or ultramarathon or whatever, it's always like an 8 a.m. start or like earlier. Yeah. I mean, I, like for Ironman, we were up at 3 a.m. And starting to eat. And it was a nightmare. Yeah. Um, so early morning workouts. I, you know what? I'm just going to throw it out there. Like, I think sometimes, especially when it's super early morning and you're trying to like get ready for, or get ready to figure out how races and stuff go. I wish I had actually done more training with using like one of those carnation instant breakfasts or Ensure type things that we ended up using for Iron Man. Yeah. I wish I had trained it that more because I didn't really do it at all until the day of Iron Man, and my guts were okay, luckily. But that was well, and I think we need to move. back
1: up, right? This is that gameplay concept that I really like. I think I might have invented that, but we'll just say gameplay. Yeah, play. yeah,
0: you definitely invented gameplay.
1: <sighs> yeah. Um. So the idea is that okay we have a, we know we have a race coming up at eight a.m. all our races are early then that's our earlier question of when should I do my workouts well some of them should probably be around that time right maybe it's a weekend workout like your key Saturday intensity workout that's getting closer and closer to the race um, you know what what the race is as far as intensity duration we want to do that around that time so then you can gameplay what is breakfast, you know, you could do that early, it's going to be pretty small. Again, Molly mentioned sort of like the pre-made breakfasts, which you can poke a lot of holes in, but they're made to be digested and provide some sort of calories. Uh, so the ensure stuff is, is fairly popular for that reason. But it could be just a simple small meal, right? Like you don't need to, the, the trick is that you're nervous and you're used to having a breakfast, but it's going to be a smaller meal, right? A snack. And then for some types of racing, you can start fueling right away. So it almost doesn't matter. Like you almost don't need to eat much beforehand at all. Um, for something that you can't fuel, like a cyclocross race, a 5K run, it's sort of just putting a little bit of something in there so that you have that. Right. But that could be, I mean, it could even be in your warm up potentially if it's an earlier race. Right. You could just start fueling sort of in the warm up like you would normally fuel. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think the number one thing is figure out what works for you because you're going to see a huge. You're going to have the person that has a full bacon breakfast at 6 a.m. and then they can race at 8 and they're happy.
0: Those people suck.
1: And then you're going to have, you know, egos or waffles at, you know, 6 or 7 and they're fine. And then you're going to have people that just have like a tiny bit of oatmeal, you know, a little bit of banana, you know, maybe a bit of egg or something or rice and eggs is a common thing. And then you're going to have the person that's just like, man, I'm just going to open a boost or insure uh, and drink that at around six or seven and go to the line and I'm going to feel a-okay.
0: Yeah. I'm a huge fan of recording your experimentation here as you kind of go through this. Yeah. Uh, Cause it really helps kind of narrow down what actually works and what doesn't. So, you know, keep a spreadsheet, right? Like I had a 45 minute run this morning. I did, you know, I ate one ego with maple syrup and butter, like had to sprint to a porta potty at mile three, like, you know actually keep those notes and it really helps figure out what what ingredients and what macros are working for you and what really is not
1: yeah we did a run the other weekend and we made like some they were like gluten-free Trader pancakes. Joe's
0: gluten-free pumpkin pancakes usually so I good. do not
1: have to stop on our own I had to stop twice so we are definitely not doing those pancakes in the future maybe not pre- back really to sweet you. potatoes only okay okay at least so, it still aren't anyhow food. so practice keep it a little less um I don't yeah. know if I have it's pretty simple stuff well, simple as far as like the the complexity of the meal
0: no I think a lot of people end up kind of assuming that they need to have like a full breakfast, like 600 calorie. And no. I will say like, it's amazing how fast stuff uh, piles up calorically. Like if I think about my two, cause I do two Eggo waffles, that's my thing. Um, but I use maple syrup and butter. And by the time I'm done with two Eggo waffles with the maple syrup and butter, I'm probably at 600 calories Right. with the amount of maple syrup that I use. Yeah. Uh, and so I think be, be aware. You know what the,
1: I like too about that is the simplicity. I think sometimes yeah, it just gets too complicated you know and not flexible enough to do on the road and so i think yeah especially in this like where everything has to be like the most perfect foods right man i was talking this to isn't someone... like everyday breakfast too yeah, yeah. Right? like you didn't have eggos this morning did not have eggs no. this
0: morning but i was talking to someone at a, at a you know women's talk i was doing and she asked me after what my pre-race breakfast was and i said a bagel and she looked like I just murdered someone. <sighs> right. Like she was appalled. And I was like, man, you know what? It it works. I'm fast. <laughs> right. right. So I think we've gotten into this very precious thing where everyone feels like rice is the, the thing and bagels are the ultimate evil. Um, but if they work for you, then more power to you. Bagels are a lot easier to procure pretty much anywhere.
1: Yeah. And that's where I get like hesitant now. Cause it seems like, you know, you get the people like, and uh, I'm as guilty, I guess, but like we get into this, the macronutrients of your carbohydrate, protein, fat. And it's like, we're not just talking about foods. Right. And it could just be simpler. And it's like an ego with a bit of like syrup on top and just don't eat too many of them, you know, and then away you go um, for those race mornings. Right. It's just, it doesn't have to be much more than that. Right. We don't need to even really talk too much about whether that was a lot of carbs, which it is. Um, right
0: yeah and okay last last word on this topic uh it's yeah digestion in the morning sucks um you might want to eat and then take five to ten minutes to do a little bit of like a
1: mm.
0: meditation deep oh, breathing stretching a, yeah. like something before like going out the door I just try to kind of down regulate your nervous system because i mean early morning workouts are still going to feel kind of like hectic, right? You wake up and like, kind of feels like a race morning. Like, ah, I have to go.
1: And that's, yeah, that was a part of this question was that sometimes it's hard to digest in the morning Mm -hmm. and maybe there's some race nerves. So I do come back to the gameplay and food that you like and can try and get down, but the ensure like might be the starting point, you know, start with something that's like whatever that thing is and just try and do that, but then try and practice and then as Molly says, like some down regulation in the morning. Cause if you're more on that, like really excited side of the curve, you probably would benefit from just trying to do deep breathing, you know,
0: have a chapter of a book you can read real quick, whatever, yeah. figure it. Uh, oh, out. and last word on digestion too. Uh, if you're running or, or riding or whatever outside, uh, maybe just plan your first, like, mile actually loops past your house again. So if you're having some digestion issues, you can pop back into the washroom and then carry on.
1: Uh, uh, but this was for race or for... Work- no, this was for just oh, workout. Oh, for workout too. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, the question was about workouts. It's just... You know, kind of goes to the topic. The trickier, I
1: mean, a lot of people just wouldn't have breakfast before they go to. I guess is an option, right? And you could certainly bring a bit of food or fuel with you. Mm -hmm. But depending on the duration, like I think that you know, if you're, you know, going for like a a five k sort of endurance run in the morning, like a lot of runners just go out the door, right?
0: If you're going short and easy, yeah. Yeah, I just hesitated to say that because I. I think that gets that's a whole different can. of Well, worms. I'm not
1: I'm not using the F word. I'm just saying that like a lot of runners go for morning runs, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Right, and they've been
1: and we've been doing this for many many years. You're
0: right. Did not drop that four letter F word. Yes. <laughs> okay. Last. Four or
1: six. I guess you could make it a four letter word. <laughs>
0: Okay, last last question here. And this one I'm going to say we're going to try to find an expert for to have on to kind of do a whole episode about it because it is an interesting question. Uh, but training and nutrition, should it change for menopause and beyond?
1: So we had the Stacey Sims episode, at least one.
0: We've had her on a couple times talking about similar topics. I don't know that we ever really dive into menopause. Too big.
1: okay. Well, that would be good to have her back for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: I'd love to talk to her about this. Um, I think the... The first, like the main thing I kind of thought about when I saw this question was, how do you feel? Mm-hmm. Are you going through menopause and you feel like your training and nutrition is off or not serving you as well as it used to? Are workouts feeling different than they did yep. Um, in, you know, in a bad way? Uh, and if so, yeah, you know, stuff might need to change. That's, and that's, that's maybe not even just menopause, that's aging in general. Um, yeah. But I think if all systems are are go, like all signals are good, then keep doing what you're doing.
1: Yeah, I don't think something has to change just because you're starting to have menopause. Because menopause
0: is going to be different for everyone too.
1: But yeah, I think if there's, you know, you're, you're trying like any of these things, right? You're, you're experiencing some sort of symptom, you know, then you certainly can do a bit of, of tracking or paying attention to things, right? Like if you, maybe it is pulling a bit of, you know, pull the oatmeal out of breakfast and go to, you know, something that's a little lighter, you know, sort of eggs and and veggies in the morning and Mm -hmm. and see, does this change the day, right? Something as simple as that. Again, I didn't talk about macronutrients. It's just, you know, we're just going to more of an eggs, veggies sort of breakfast. How did this change the rest of the day? Um, it, It could be that simple, but yeah, there could also be something you need to get in and see someone as well, right? To sort of work through stuff, whether that's, with hormones or with that's with, you know, some other type of therapy too.
0: But yeah, I don't think on the whole, there's no overarching like agreement amongst coaches and nutrition professionals or anything that menopause should no, change No, because it's so anything. variable
1: between people, right? Some people, it doesn't do anything. And sometimes it's like life changing the amount of symptoms and disruption and right yeah yeah
0: so i think yeah keep calm and carry on until (laughs) signals are telling you otherwise
1: yeah i mean a lot of people because that is a component in stacy's book yeah yeah Yeah, so so
0: roar by stacy sims and i have a a big article on it that I've done. So I'll link to that in the show notes. And I would outs. imagine,
1: I'll, I'll try and do a bit of a Google around too, but I imagine if you Googled Stacy Sims and menopause, there's probably like a talk you could watch with her or something too.
0: For sure. But I think she'd be a really interesting one to have on to talk about this. And I think like there there is male menopause too. So it'd be interesting to hear how this could impact men.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't even want to go into it too much. It's sort of beyond my stuff, right? But... Yeah, I think going by how you're feeling and just, you know, trying to change things a bit, right? If you're feeling like, you know, suddenly, you know, you're putting on a lot of weight, then maybe it is a a little less food or a little bit more vegetable focused, right? And a lot of us, this goes into all of the, the questions, I guess, too, right? Like there's usually we get like off into these macronutrient or, or whatever things, but then there's, you know, something obvious, like, you know, too many drinks in the day or you know, obvious like candy stuff. Right. And you, you've sort of said, or I'm trying to think of the quote. I don't know if it was from you or if it was someone else, but
0: if it was brilliant, it was probably me. It was not.
1: I don't know about that, but the, you know, the, Rude. the idea that we, we all sort of know what good nutrition is on a, on a fundamental, simple level. Right. And, and ha, there's, that was me. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, but a lot of us, when we're into these situations, we want to be jump onto this like crazy, extreme diet but then there's you know a couple low-hanging fruits type thing right
0: possibly literally
1: it could, it could be there could be
0: all right with that that brilliant statement i think that's a good place to wrap up uh as always thanks for tuning in if you have any other questions uh we'd love to you know keep hearing them don't wait till we ask out for questions just keep it rolling you can find me on twitter and instagram at molly j herford peter is at peter glassford uh you can head to the consummateathlete.com and we have a contact page there Uh, and we'll get peter on the instagram stories for our next round of questions and shout outs but yeah keep them coming and thanks for tuning in all right have a great week guys